Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of Rabbi Avi Havivi's weekly Sidur class. Today we will look, we'll continue looking at the Shulchan Aruch Code of Jewish Law stuff on how to say, the, how to recite the Shema. And I think we're going to, that'll probably roll into next week and that will take us to um, up to Hanukkah. Just to review for those who missed last week in brief, and by the way, everything I say now in the next minute or two, you can find in, you can just look it up at the Wikipedia, okay? You don't have to know Hebrew to look it up in the Israeli Wikipedia. You can just look it up in the English Wikipedia. The Shulchan Aruch is considered by Orthodox Jews to be the Authoritative Code of Jewish Law, written in the 1500s by Rabbi Yosef Karo, who was a Sephardic rabbi when it reached Ashkenazi lands. Um, a, an Ashkenazi rabbi named Rabbi Moshe Israelis, the Ramah, um, uh, wrote comments on it where Ashkenazi practice differed from Sephardi practice, which in the usual version of the Shulchan Aruch is written in a different, it's, pr- it's printed in a different font. It's written actually in Rashi script instead of square script so that, you know, which is the main body of the work Sephardic and where are the Ashkenazic comments. The Ramah intended to write his own code of Jewish law planned to, um, but once the Shulchan Aruch reached his hand, he thought it, it w- saw that it was pretty darn good and scrapped his plan to write a whole code of Jewish law. I just decided to write, notes appended to the Shulchan Aruch on when Ashkenazi practice differs from Sephardi practice. Both of these men, Rabbi Yosef Karo and Rabbi Moshe Israelis, had each written prior much more massive, um, especially Karo, uh, massive commentaries on Jewish law. And for both of them, the Shulchan Aruch was just the digest. It doesn't say this rabbi says this and this rabbi says this and this custom says this. It usually just says, and this is our practice. It just gives you the bottom line, okay? By the way, for those who have been to Krakow to, as tourists and tour the synagogues, in Krakow, they call Rabbi Moshe Israelis, Hebrew, we call him the Ramah, Resh Mem Aleph, for his initials, Rabbi Moshe Israelis, Resh Mem Aleph. In Krakow, they call him the Ramu, R-E-M-U, and you will tour the Ramu's synagogue and the old Jewish cemetery, which actually has his headstone in it where he's buried. So that's actually a pretty cool experience. I've been there a couple of times. So as I said last time, for those who weren't here, the way the Shulchan Aruch looks is like all other Jewish holy books in the printed edition, like you're used to seeing a rabbinic chumash or the Talmud. It's got the text in the middle in square print. It has commentaries all around it. Um, So if you didn't know what you were reading, you wouldn't be able to distinguish it from a Talmud, for example. And this is the edition in Safaria, available to everyone for free online, safaria.org. So this is one of the four divisions of the Shulchan Aruch, the first one called Orachayim, which covers all manner of things having to do with prayers and Shabbat and holidays and such like. And it's divided into chapters. So we're up to chapter 61, Siman 61, okay? Siman, which is the rabbinic word for chapter, even though that's not it in modern Israeli. So, um, so this is the law 
כמה צריך לדקדק ולכוון בקריאת שמע. This is the law of how much a person needs to be exacting and to have kavana for קריאת שמע. And ubo kaf vav seifim. It has 26 paragraphs. And we started with this one. Yikra kriyat shema b'chavana b'ma b'yira b'retet uvaziyah. You need to read the shema with kavana, intention, and uh, trembling, and etc. And we talked about that a little bit last time. Okay, next paragraph. We talked about that also. Paragraph two. Asher anuchim mitzavcha hayom, which I command you today. This means that you should experience reading the shema as if God commanded you all those commands today. Right, not just one particular day on the giving of at the giving of the Torah of Sinai over three thousand years ago, but today. Um, every day it should feel new. Not like a person who's heard this many times. Who has no love or fuss for it? Meaning, it's not when you read the Shema. And you think about God's commandments, you shouldn't think anything like, yeah, this is the Shema that I read yesterday, that I read last night in bed, that I read twice a day, plus once in bed, and I've read it a zillion times. That's not how you should experience it. You should experience it as if you were receiving Torah anew today. So, Asher Anochim Etzavcha Hayom, which I command you today, is meant to focus you on, I am actually receiving Hashem commandments anew right now today everyone with me that's the idea behind that so that's how far we went last time now we will move forward paragraph three bekriyat shema yesh resh mem hey tevot 245 words you may count them but you know trust me that's how many it has not including i think not including baruch shem kvod machuto leolam vaed which is said silently um and In rabbinic literature and the Talmud, the 245 is the number of body parts that a human being has, including all of their sinews and tendons and whatnot. Uh, it's actually Ramach Evarav Vishasagi Dav. 248 sinews and 365 limbs. This is just kind of their number for... If you take anatomy class, like I did in the beginning of medical school, there's a lot of things to memorize. So that's just the number from the Talmud, 245. And they say Shema has 245 words. What does this mean? That you are devoting every fiber of your body to Hashem's mitzvot. Uh, sorry, I take it back. I, 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 mess, I messed up. I take it back. The number in rabbinical... literature is 248 it's ramach but shema has 245 words how do we make up the extra three this is a toss-up question right the chazan repeats hashem eloichem emet so when we have a minion which is not the way we should be doing it in our uh betha morning minion because other than For purposes of saying mourner's Kaddish, we don't consider it a minion. We don't say Kedusha. We don't say Kaddish. We don't say Chazarat Shatz. So we also don't say Hashem Aleichem Emet. I'll get to, we'll get to El Melech Neman in a few moments, I promise. So the way it is said when we have a minion, the three extra words is the Chazan davens the whole Shema to themselves. 
That's what the Chazan says in their own private davening. And then the Chazan repeats Hashem Eloheichem Emet, which connects the Hashem Eloheichem at the end of the third paragraph to the first word Emet at the beginning of the bracha after the Shema. Right? Everyone with me? So the Chazan repeats those three words on behalf of the Kahal. That's, so it's 245 words plus those three. Um, and that makes um, 248. Now, look at the gloss. In, in English, it's not in a different font. It's just called comment. Okay. The fancy scholarly word for that is gloss. I don't know why. Um, but in Hebrew, you see it's in smaller print and it says haga. Haga means comment or gloss. So haga, that means Rab Moshe Israelis, the Ashkenazi authority, wrote this in. He says, Ubeze kol adam yotze. With this, which means the Chazan's recitation of those three words, every individual in the congregation is yotze, is fulfills their obligation. Vishomim mipiv shel hashatz gimel tevot elu. Because you hear from the Chazan these three words. In other words, do you have to say those three words? You, Joe Shmo, the Jew in the pew? No, you do not. The fact that you hear the Chazan say those three words makes your Shema 248, even though you don't say them yourselves. That's the way conventionally, by the way, we do it in shul, right? We just finish. You wait for the Chazan to say, Hashem Elochem Emet. You kiss your tzitzit. Or you say, Emet. That's what we do. Hold on a second, Larry. I think you're raising your hand, but hold on. If the individual wants to say it with the Shleach Tzibur, Ein Isur Badavar. It's not forbidden, right? So you don't have to say that with a chazan. You don't have to feel like you have to say the three extra words to make it 245 plus three equals 248 to, to represent that your entire, every fiber of your being is devoted to God. It's sufficient to listen to the chazan say it. But if you want to say it, that's okay. It's not forbidden. You might, you might think to yourself, well, why would it possibly be forbidden? So the answer is because you're not allowed to interrupt the Shema, right? So you can't talk to someone during the Shema. There are all kinds of rules about if uh, an important person comes in, if the king comes in and says, good morning to you, are you allowed to say good morning? It depends if it's in the middle of a paragraph or between paragraphs. So from after Baruch Hu, the beginning of the Bracha, through the Amidah, you're not supposed to talk. Um, you're actually not supposed to say Amen is not considered an interruption, except maybe right after Gaal Yisrael, the last blessing before the Amida. That's a complicated question we won't go into today. But by the way, footnote, Baruch Hu Uvaruch Shemo is considered an, introduc- an interruption, meaning normally when you hear a bracha, you say Baruch Hu Uvaruch Shemo, right? But when you hear the Chazan say Baruch HaTashem Yotzer HaMeorot, or Baruch HaTashem HaBocher B'Amo Yisrael B'Ahava, or Baruch HaTashem Ga'al Yisrael, you're not supposed to say Baruch Hu Baruch Shemo. 
It's a minhag. It's a custom. It's not a requirement. It is considered an interruption. And in the middle of Shema, you're not supposed to say it. Everyone with me on that? So the question is, Hashem Aleichem Emet, if the Chazan says it, maybe I'm not supposed to say it. Maybe it's an interruption, like Baruch Shem, like Baruch Hu Baruch Shemo. Everyone with me? So the, the Ramah says, you don't have to say it. The Chan says it. You, we are relying on the Chazan for those three words. But you know what? If the individual feels that the individual wants to say it with the Chazan or repeat it after Chazan, that's okay. By the way, um, this is a fine point in the Hebrew. If you go up to that first line in the small letters in the Hebrew, Haga, comment or gloss, Ubazek kol adam yotze, with these three words, everyone fulfilled, it fulfills their requirement. Ho'il in mipiv shel hashatz gimel since they hear from the mouth of the shliach tzibur, the chazan, these three words, and you see the parentheses, in the parentheses, that's Beit Yosef, which is the longer halachic commentary um, written by Rabbi Yosef Karo. So he's, he's citing where the law is from. B'Shem, I am not sure off the top of my head what the Aleph Chet is. I didn't look that up. So the Beit Yosef, so he's saying this rule that you don't have to repeat it comes from the Beit Yosef. He's quoting it. And the Beit Yosef quotes it in the name of the Aleph Chet. Uh, I got to think about that. Then this is why I'm showing. This is why I'm showing. I'm, I want to show you the next part. If the individual also wants to say it with the Chazan, isur badavar. There is no forbidding forbidding it. Parentheses divrei atzmo. Okay. This means his own opinion. And I'm not quite sure, does this refer to, I don't think this refers to the Beit Yosef. I think this means this is the Ramah's own opinion and he does not, not cite any source for it. There's no source cited for it. Okay? So usually he will tell you where the opinion comes from. This means the Ramah says it on his own authority. That's why he showed this to you. I thought that was sort of just an interesting note. Okay. Everyone with me? Yes. Um, yeah. Pause. There's question, question, comment. Okay. I'm going to go on. Um, then there's a whole thing about if there isn't a chazan, you're praying alone. There are 15 vavs, 15 letter vavs in the next paragraph. I'm going to skip all that. Okay. Um, and I'm going to here. Okay, the top small line in the middle. V'yesh shekatvu, some have written, d'chol hakorei kriyat biachid, that any time you are davening alone, individual, without a minion, yomar, Vered, please mute. Please mute, Vered. Yomar el melech ne'aman. You should say el melech ne'aman. Ki gimel tfei... Tevot elu, because these three words, mashlimim haminyan shel ramach, they make up the number of 248. So that is our Ashkenazi custom of why you say El Melech Neman. There are Sephardim, by the way, who say El Melech Neman all the time, not just when they're without a minion. 
Okay? We Ashkenazim say El Melech Neman only when there's no minion because we don't say Hashem Eloichem Emet. So we are missing the three extra words to make it 245 plus three equals 248. Does everyone follow that? Right? So that's why we're saying El Melech Neman, what that really means. And a lot of time I know our Chazanim at our, at our Zoom minion go on autopilot. Right? But they're really not supposed to say Hashem Eloichem Emet. They're really supposed to say, because they're really just an individual davener. They're not actually, I'm going to put it in quotes, they're not actually the chazan, meaning the shliach tzibur, because it's not, we don't actually, it's not actually considered halachically a minion, right? I mean, you know, there's some other zooming anim. There are different rabbinic responses on this. There's some zuminyanim that do consider it a minion. They do say Baruchu and Kedusha and all the Kaddishes, right? Beth Am has adopted the opinion that it's not fully a minion other than saying mourner's Kaddish. It's this in-between opinion. Everyone follows what I'm saying? So if it's not really fully a minion, if we don't say Baruchu, and we don't say Kedusha, and we don't say the other Kaddishes, then the Chazan doesn't say Hashem Eloichem Emet. So we are missing three words. It's as if each one of us is davening individually at home, and so we say El Melech Neman before the Shema, which if you are davening in Shul with a minion, you do not say if you're Ashkenazi. Everyone with me on that? Um, there are those who are the, since the 248, and... There's a, another saying, thought, okay, that El Melech Neman also stands for Amen, right? The Amen that you say before Shema, right? El Melech Neman, Amen, right? So why would you say El Melech Neman instead of Amen? Because you don't say Amen. Why do you not say Amen when you're davening individually? Because you didn't have a chazan, you didn't hear a chazan recite a bracha, so you don't say Amen. So instead you say El Melech Neman. So it's kind of a, a reason that's given of what El, what El Melech Neman, uh, that it stands for the word Amen because of those three letters. And this is the practice, okay? Venir Eli, and my opinion, in the second Meyer, my opinion is, Mikol Makom, at any rate, when you are davening Shema with a Tzibur, Lo yomar el melech neman. You do not say el melech neman. Rak yomar amen acharei hashatz kishemisayim habracha. You just say amen after the chazanes baruch ata Hashem habocher ba Moisrael biava. Meaning, you might think, well, if el melech neman is just an alternative for amen, maybe when I hear the chazan say the end of the bracha, maybe I shouldn't say amen. Maybe I should say el melech neman. The Ramah says, no, don't do that. Right? You. Just say Amen, and you do not say El Melech Neman. V'chein no hagin, and this is the minhag, what I just said, v'nachonhu, and it is correct, okay? Again, there are different Sephardi opinions about that, but that is the Ashkenazi mainstream opinion. When you daven individually without a minyan, you say El Melech Neman, because you don't have Hashem Elohim Emet. But when you're davening with a congregation with a full a minion, you do not say you do not say El Melech Naman. In other words, you should not say it. Right? He said the Chazan says Hashem Elochem Emet. You don't have to say it. You're allowed 
to say it if you want, but El Melech Neman, you should not say it when you're in a minion. Okay, I'm pausing. Meyer had a question, and then Larry had a question. Um, the uh, the uh, I, I have a my minhag is not to say amen between uh, the Abat Olam and uh, the Shema, and I was wondering where that came from. I was just looking at it while you were talking, and it appears it's from the Ramban. And I and again, I just want to pause for a moment. We talked last time about the expansion of Jewish law and then the contraction into codes. The contraction into codes effaces or erases all the proliferation of minhagim up until that code. And this is why many authorities did not like the idea of codification, right? Because there might be some people who say, I hold according to the Ramban. Go on, Meyer. Yeah. So, and according to Ramban, he said there should not be a hefsek between a, uh, a bracha and its mitzvah, and therefore, uh, that, that bracha is the birkat mitzvah for saying the Shema. So, one, any one word would constitute right. a hefsek. Right. Because, right, because what did we say in birkat Hava? Remember, we said, God, you love us. What is the evidence of your love that you, what did God do? That was the evidence of God's love. Gave us the Torah. Right? The evidence right. of God's love in Avaros gave us the Torah. And therefore, now I'm about to recite Torah, right? <laughs> Three paragraphs of the Shema. Right. Therefore, right. it's as if the Bracha Avaraba is like, just like the Bracha we say um, before Laning. So once you say that Bracha, you're not then supposed to have a conversation about something. Just like, you know, once you say hamotzi, you got to eat bread right away. You're not supposed to have a conversation. You say the bracha, you do the thing. So the bracha of our Abah is like birkat ha-Torah, because it talks about God loves us, God gave us the Torah. And so I'm, now I'm going to launch directly into Torah study. And Amen is an interruption, according to the Ramban. Okay. If you look at most Orthodox Sidurim today that have... Amen printed in small letters and parentheses after each bracha, it will have Amen. Now that I said that, I'm going to look at my Rina Israel. I'm curious. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it doesn't say that. Well, my Sidra doesn't have Amen for any of them, my particular one. Anyway, um, Larry, Meyer, did you want to say anything else or you just wanted to make that observation? That's your main hog. And, and now you know. By the way, where did you look up the source of the main hog? Uh, just now? Or yeah. uh, from Ramban, I probably studied in Ramban, but I can go back and look and see what it says on my. Oh, you record. don't remember? You don't remember? Got it? Okay, I'll go back and look again. Okay, yeah. Okay. Um, by the way, there are alternatives. There are other places other than Shulchan Aruch which collect all of the rabbinic opinions, which will probably say we'll have that. Okay, but the Shulchan Aruch, which is a digest, doesn't do that. It just gives you the bottom line. Larry. So I must admit, I have ambivalent feelings about about all of this, but first of all, with regards to saying... Because it's so, because it, pardon me, because it's so normative and it tells you what to do? Yeah, yeah, I think think it it gets at certain, it it rigidifies what really should be something that is is more a matter of of Kavanaugh and intent. But I understand it, and I also get into it myself. With regard to saying, I mean, look, when you say hamotzi, at least in my household and in every household I've ever seen, people respond amen, and that's not considered an interruption. But be that as it may, as, as it may, I'm more concerned about the ending, and 
And I am concerned, actually, in terms of one thing in particular, um, when one is shaliach tzibur with a minyan. So I'm asking this, uh, asking you a question. So when you say your own shema as shaliach tzibur, you should start stop with the word aleichem um, and just stop and wait. Right. And then, which is the end? Of, right. Pause for a second, Larry. And the reason you, you stop there is because that is actually the end of the verse. That's the end of the passage from the Torah, meaning I had an obligation as the Chazan, as an individual, even though I'm the Chazan, I'm an individual. My obligation is to recite the three paragraphs of the Shema, the three paragraphs of the Shema, and Ani Hashem Eloichem. Pause. Yes. Now go ahead with your, you, your, your question. And then you wait for Michael Harris to indicate that he's done, at which point, yeah. at which point you should say, uh, Adonai Eloichem Emet. And then you should continue v'yatziv without saying amet again. Correct? Uh, that's correct. The chazan continues. Ani Hashem Elochemet v'yatziv. Yes. I mean, it's just as a matter of of what I've observed, there are all sorts of variations of how many times people actually repeat the word amet. Some even, in fact, I think three separate times. Once okay. in, in their own shema, as I've heard people whisper, and then when they say the three words, and then they start the paragraph again with Ahmed. And that seems to me to be wrong. I'm not a posek. I'm not a rabbinic decisor. So I'm not going to say that anyone is wrong. I'm just reading the Shulchan Aruch with you. (laughs) (laughs) Ask Rabbi Klickfeld. No, I don't Uh, ask anyone. By the way, I want to... Okay. Larry, I want to make a, a serious comment about your not liking the rigidifying of it. Okay. Because there's there are two or three levels of the rigidifying. I just want to acknowledge them all. Okay. So first of all, some authorities did not like the idea of certain codes because then this rigidifies it. And what about people like Meyer who might say, well, I grew up not saying Amen after Avarabah. Because my rabbi's, my teacher's minhag was to not say amen, because my teacher's lineage held according to the Ramban, who was a very big authority. And now you're telling me that I'm wrong. Okay. So one level of having trouble with codes is um, it, it erases, effaces the very rich history of different minhagim and the, the codifier is the one who decided which one was, I'm going to put it in air quotes, correct, and that the others were wrong. Okay, so that was one objection that people had to codification. There are two other potential objections that Larry might or might not be making. I don't want to impute anything to Larry, and you don't have to say you are or you're not, but I just want to raise them, okay? So one objection is I didn't grow up with this minhag to not say amen, but I like it. And so I'm going to adopt it. Now, I believe in general, if you ask most Orthodox authorities, you are not supposed to do that. Meaning you're not supposed to say, I like this minhag, so I am going to do it. You're supposed to have the minhag. You're supposed to ask your rabbi what to do. Okay, meaning what minhag we adopt 
should come from some authority. It should either be, that's how they did it in my home, or that's what my teacher says, or that's what my rabbi says. It's actually a whole important article by Rav Chaim Soloveitchik from about 20 years ago, lamenting the rise of book Judaism uh, and the decline of custom Judaism, because in book Judaism, that's the way we did it in my home, isn't a legitimate argument, because maybe the way they did it in your home was wrong. Now that we have books published and authorities published, they can tell you the right way to do it. And Rav Chaim Soloveitchik, who's a, uh, an important Orthodox scholar, says, whatever happened to we learn Judaism from imitating our elders, from what we saw them do when they were, you know, in the Masoret within a family and a community. Um, hold on a moment. Diane, I'll get to you in a second. Um, then there's a third possibility of rigidification, which is I just want to make up what I choose to do. I don't feel myself bound halacha at all, or I don't, halacha has a, has a vote, but not a veto. Okay. Um, which officially would be technically a reform position, not a conservative Orthodox position. And I, I just want to do it a particular way. And I don't, I don't like the fact that there's a book that tells me what I ought to do. So I want to say there are three potential objections to the, rigidification that comes with codification. One is it erases the history of other mean Hagim and makes them look as if they're wrong. Two is um, it erases, ask your local rabbi and what the rabbi says is what your mean should be. Three is I don't want anyone telling me what to do, which is sort of the contemporary American, you know, approach to things. Okay. Um, so I just want to say, I just want to lay them out there and say there are three potential objections to this. I don't know exactly what Larry meant. And I, I, Larry, I don't want you to tell us what you meant, but I just because it's more important to me to just lay out those options. Diane, you had a hand up. By the way, with screen sharing, I can't see everyone. So if there are other people have hands up, maybe do the electronic hand or something. Diane. So this, here's an argument in, in favor of the codification. And that uh-huh. is, and I, I wouldn't necessarily hold it for myself, but I, at different times of my life, I might. And that is someone who was either newly coming to Judaism from some other religion or newly coming to um, halachic practice, and they want to know the, quote, right way to do it. And I, that's why a lot of Balei Chuvot um, um use art scroll is because it actually strips out how to do it. And, and there's something at least at the beginning comforting about that. Yeah. By the way, there are art scroll halacha books that have two different editions. Just so you know, in English, it tends to just tell you the rule in Hebrew. It has all kinds of footnotes and it says where it comes from, right? Mm -hmm. It might not have the alternative minhagim. Now, there are other halachic works, there are other law codes that have all the alternative, alternative minhagim, but the problem is that they're too long to be super useful for day-to-day practice. But, but Diane, the other thing you didn't mention, by the way, as the use for codification is, um, how can we run a shul where 
every chazan stands up there and does it differently? Right. Or how can you go from one shul to another and the procedures are all different and it's a balagan and someone says, you know, it's the old Jewish joke, right? We did it that way. We did it that way. And they, they say to the new rabbi, that's what we used to do in the old days, which was they argued about it. I can't, I didn't get the punchline right, but I think you know <laughs> what I mean. Um, right? So part of the effort of codification, what's behind it is it becomes a bala, what feels to people like a balagan of minhagim, of practices, right? No one knows what's the correct way to do it. Different people do it different ways. We're one community. Let's standardize what people do for our community. That is the impulse behind codification. Is, is there a reason that it took so in, in, long? In, I'm saying in general, that's the impulse behind codification. Right. Go is ahead. There, is there a reason that, that it happened then and not earlier or later? Oh, now you're asking about the history of Jewish codification, and I have a massive four-volume book in Hebrew about that, and I don't know the answer because I haven't read every line in that book. Right. Why did Yosef choose to do the, you know, in the 1500s? Why did the Rambam choose to do it when he did? You know, so um, uh, I don't know the answer to that. Okay, we're over time, but I'd like to follow, I'd like to end on a good note, which is going to be a one-liner. The next line, Nohagin likrot pasuk rishon bekol ram kavana. It is the custom to recite the first verse of the Shema aloud to awaken our kavana, right? So when you say something aloud, it has more force to it. This is the basis of why either in, in liberal shuls, we sing the Shema together, Shema Yisrael, or if you go to an Orthodox shul, everyone says it at their own pace. It sounds like a fish market, right? Shema Yisrael, right? Everyone says it at their own pace, not in unison, but it's aloud. So the first pasuk, is actually said in a, a, a loud voice. We'll, we'll read later about how you're supposed to read the rest of the Shema. Um, but the first Pasuk is, should be recited in a different uh, volume. That's the word I'm sorry. Volume than the rest of the Shema. Why is this? To awaken Kavanah. Uh, so I don't know that that requires other explanation. May everyone go forth today uh, to live your life with Kavanah. We'll end on Thank that. You. Everyone have a good day. Stay healthy. You too. And uh, God willing, we'll meet again next week. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am, Los Angeles, go to TBA. LA.org.